Now, on with the sermon proper. Quick recap. Who remembers roughly kind of what's going on, where we are story-wise? You're right. It's right after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It is now on his way home to Capernaum. We're going to get to today. He's actually going to get to a place where he wants to rest. That's kind of the setup. So we've seen Jesus enacting some of the stuff he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, putting that into action on his way down the mountain, on his way back home. So could I have Lily come up and read our passage? And when, and when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in a bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and waited on him. And when evening had come, they brought, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he casted out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were ill. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Awesome. Thank you very much. So we're going to kind of walk through this passage and see kind of what some of the themes are, what, what we're getting at. So if we start at the top, verse 14, this is just kind of setting the stage, setting up this is what's, what's going to be happening here. So Jesus is coming home, coming into Capernaum, as we saw last week, the place he's living, coming to Peter's home. Now scholars are actually kind of divided on, does Jesus have a place of his own in Capernaum, or is he actually living with Peter? We're not sure, because it doesn't say, but in a lot of the passages they talk about him going to Peter's house a lot, so that's why some people feel like, is, is Jesus living here? Either way, he's either going to the place he's living or to the home of one of his best friends. Really, to relax, to prep, because as we'll see, Jesus has a big night, and he kind of knows a big night's coming, so he wants to go relax. Second thing to highlight here, oops, scroll too far, is this fever. Kind of like a couple weeks ago when we talked about leprosy, fever tends to be just a generic catch-all term. So don't think of it as like, oh, they were just laying in bed with a cold. It was probably worse than that. It wasn't just like, oh, they're, they're not feeling very well. So it was, it was a more serious thing going on than just a fever. So verse 14, kind of setting the stage for us. Now, jump down to 15. The thing about 15, we need to just head off immediately, because I have heard some horrendous sermons and jokes about it. Jesus is not healing this woman just so she can turn around and serve them. Like, that is not the reason why Jesus is doing this. For her, this is how she is showing her gratitude via coming back in and serving this individual, serving this group. But there shouldn't be any meta thing read into that. We have other stories, you know, this is the Mary and Martha is the classic example of how different people serve in different ways. You know, you have one person who's like, no, I, I want to be the person up serving, doing all this. Well, the other one is like, no, I show love by sitting with this person, by being involved with this person. So just, I want to head that off because I know there have been some really bad exegesis done on this passage. So I can, we'll see, this is showing where, that she knew her place and such. No, it has nothing to do with that. What I think is important to highlight here of her getting up and serving right away is that she is completely healed. It's not like Jesus healed her, touched her, and then she's like, all right, you'll get better in you know, seven to 10 days. It's instant. She's feeling well enough, complete enough, healthy enough to be like, oh, I can kind of do things. I can show gratitude, right? Think about it. If you're sick, and you, how long does it take before you want to do chores, want to do kind of the stuff in your daily life? It'll take a long time. You're going to have to really be back to 100% before that's what you want to do. And so I think that's the important thing to pull out of this verse here, 
is the, this is instant. This is, she is back to 100%. So that's just kind of, I, I want to head that off with this passage right away because that is, can be a very big talking issue with this passage. The other thing that I want to touch on here is the timing of this healing. This is kind of an inconvenient healing for Jesus. Because as we're going to talk about, arguably he's coming down here to rest, to get ready for a hectic, big evening. He's had a long day. Just think about what Jesus has done today. He has delivered the Sermon on the Mount, come down the mountain, had interactions, had healings, and is now going home. Jesus has done like four months worth of sermon stuff today on this day, right? This has been a big day. And his big day is not over. He arguably has the biggest half of it still to come. So he wants to go home and relax before the big event coming up. You know, for me, when I had a big event coming up, especially in college, if I had a final or a midterm, the two hours or so before it, I would not study one bit. For me, I'm like, if I don't know it by now, cramming for it now is not going to help me. So I would play Mario Kart or Madden or something for just an hour or two beforehand and just, no, I am completely relaxing. I want to go in refreshed and ready to go. That doesn't fully happen here, right? Because Jesus comes home and is like, oh, I got I to gotta kind of put my work hat on. It seems weird to think about Jesus as not Messiah, but with his friends, he had to have multiple hats, right? He had to be like, all right, I'm just carpenter Jesus right now. I'm friend Jesus. So that maybe is what he was thinking about. All right, I have a couple, I have a little bit of time where I can go home, relax, put on just my normal Jesus hat, comes home, and like, oh no, I gotta put Messiah hat back on. But what don't you see? Jesus doesn't complain. Jumps right in and does it. And I think that highlights something really important for us that oftentimes following Jesus, being Christ-like, being Christian, can sometimes be inconvenient. I've told stories before about some of the most profound, powerful, amazing conversations I've had with people have come at the absolute most inconvenient times. When I'm getting ready to leave, go do something else, and something happens, I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen now. I have to go. This is what's happening here. That is so often the case that some of the best things we do kingdom-wise often come at the most seemingly inconvenient times for us. I think that's just part of being Christian, as evidenced here by Jesus. All right, so now let's dive in to the kind of the second part. This first, this section kind of broken into two little sections here, right? Let's get into the second section. When evening had come, they, they everyone around, brought him, Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. All right, we need a little bit of context here. Why is everyone waiting until evening to come and do this? Luckily, this is a parallel story we have in some of the other Gospels. In some of those other Gospels, they mentioned it was the Sabbath. So, people who would follow the Sabbath could not do work of which bringing people to be healed would be work. Asking for healing potentially could be work. They could not do anything like that from sundown on Friday to when the first three stars came out on Saturday. During that time, no work. That's the timing the Sermon on the Mount happens. That's the timing Jesus' walk up to Capernaum is happening. And even if you think about who are the people he's had interactions with on his walk home. First one was the leper, who, as we talked about, he was breaking every rule to get healed. That dude did not care. He wanted to get healed. He was breaking the cleanliness rules. He did not mind breaking Sabbath rules so he could have a chance to be healed. 
and last week the centurion. The Roman centurion doesn't follow Sabbath, doesn't follow Shabbat, so he's coming in to get healing for his servant. So now the people who follow Sabbath know Jesus is around, they're coming. They're coming to be healed. And so this is what Jesus is prepping for, this kind of wave of people coming to be healed. And what I love about this, and it's something we've hit on the last couple of weeks, the simplicity of Jesus' healings here. They're instant, and they're just with a word, just with a touch. Even casting out demons isn't done with any kind of giant incantation. There's no giant exorcism ritual Jesus does. Notice he just says a word. He cast out spirits with a word, or maybe with a command, which links back to last week, what the Roman centurion said of Jesus. Remember when he compared him to a man under authority? The centurion said, I tell you know, the people under me to do this, and they have to. I give a command to do that, and they have to. Likening that to Jesus, and Jesus' command over nature, over our world. So we're seeing it right here. Just as the people under the Roman centurion had to do what he said, even these demons have to do what Jesus says, with just a word. So you can see this kind of, these themes building on each other in this section. Very, very clever here. But I just love this idea that Jesus, with just the simplest word, simplest command, is healing everyone who comes to him. Then we get to verse 17. This seems like a weird spot to have this passage, right? Because this is a passage, he, he took our infirmaries and carried away our diseases. This is a passage a lot of us will probably recognize. This is Isaiah 53 sometimes called the suffering servant passage. We quote it, you know, sometimes around Christmas, but a lot around Easter, right? It's the passage that talks about Jesus on the cross, that we use to point towards Jesus on the cross, right? He bore our sins, he took our iniquities, all of that. This seems like a weird use of this passage, right? Because we think of this passage in relation to sin, to the cross. And it 100% is. But I don't think we should skip over this, this verse in that passage, in this Isaiah passage, and jump immediately to sin. And no, don't worry. We are not the first people that have wanted to take this verse and jump right to sin. We're going to go down a nerd path here. So this is, the, this, this is the verse. He took himself, he took for himself our infirmaries and carried away our diseases. The Hebrew text, the word for infirmaries here, they will use this Hebrew word here, chali, which means illness, sickness, right? Pretty what we'd expect from this English translation. However, the Greek does something interesting. So we have a text called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the translation from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. That is the document that a lot of times was most used in Jesus' times if someone was reading the Old Testament. They would most often read the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uses this Greek word, amartia, which is sin. So even back before Jesus, they want to change this word. They want to think, well, no, this, this can't just simply be talking about illnesses. It has to be bigger. It has to be sin. Another nerd thing now, 
we can notice that because our author used the word infirmaries, they're reading the Hebrew, not the Greek, which is fascinating. Sometimes you can do that when you see quotes, because you, if you ever have that where you see someone that says, oh, as was quoted in the scripture, and then you go back in your Bible and read it, and you're like, that, that's worded slightly differently, probably because they're quoting from the Greek version of it. So, nerd stuff for you. There you go. But I don't think we should be so fast to, you know, jump right to sin. Because that glosses over something I think is really, really important. Having this, pat, this verse coming, we took our infirmaries, carried away our diseases right before talking about sin on the cross in the Isaiah passage, those big Easter passages that, that we talk about. This paints a picture of Jesus caring about all of us, about all of our individual being. Jesus cares for our sins, those big things on the cross, the smaller things, being sick, our everyday lives. Jesus is Messiah over all of it, our forever and our right now. We, we use that line here, you know, or we try to use that line a little bit, is we need to care for people's forever lives and their right now lives. And I think this passage really highlights when Jesus did that. He took infirmaries, diseases, and the people right there with him while going to the cross, taking care of their eternal disease, their eternal sin. I just love that setup here. Okay, let's put the last couple weeks together. This has been kind of one narrative story right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus coming home. What have we had so far? We've had three healing stories, right? We started with the healing of the leper, the societal outcast, the one that no one would talk to. Then we had the healing of the centurion, the person that Jesus, on a personal level, a family level, and a cultural level, had every reason to hate this person, but didn't, but still healed them. And then today, we had the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, someone close to Jesus, someone Jesus knew, a friend. That's painting a pretty wide girth, right? That's a lot of different types of people. And this passage just comes out explicitly and says it, he healed all who were ill. Everyone who was ill. And so, this is something we should think about as we move out, as we're trying to emulate Christ. We need to be addressing needs, loving on people as wide of a birth as possible. Now, that doesn't mean you as an individual should be helping everyone, right? Like, we're, we're a small church. You're an individual. You can't do that. You'll be stretched too thin. But we can't have groups that we just don't, don't want to do with, right? Oh, hey, you know, I, I don't agree with that person. I'm not, I'm not going to help them. We can't be judging on people. of Like, well, I, I just don't like that person. I'm not going to show them love. Well, you know that situation they're in? It's kind of their own fault. They put themselves there. They need to pull themselves out. You know, I really only support Christian charities. I'm not going to help anything that's not directly Christian-related. That's not what we saw Jesus doing. We can't have blind spots when it comes to showing love. We can't have groups that we just decide, no, well, I'm, that's, not, that's not who I'm helping. The idea of blind spots can be such a big one. And a lot of times, we might not even realize we have these blind spots when it comes to loving people. 
I think one of the biggest ones that gets overlooked was highlighted in the passage today. Tommy Lee Jones, get off there. That's <laughs> one of the passages from today of who did Jesus help? Someone close to him, Peter's mother-in-law, someone he knew, someone who was a friend, someone who was, you know, that quasi-adopted family. How often are our blind spots to helping, to loving the people closest to us that we just kind of overlook? Because they're my family. They know I love them. They're, they're good. I need to go out and help all these people out there. And, and we do, absolutely. Sometimes your family, the ones closest to you, your friends, are the ones who need your help the most. I have time to tell a story. Um, a couple weeks ago, Christy and I, we were after church, we had a game night scheduled. So you know, we went there early to set up. You know, games are some, somewhat elaborate. It takes some time to set up. Uh, we were doing it out at a barbecue place. I mean, barbecue, beer, and board games. Like that, it doesn't get any better than that, right? So we're there setting up, and there's this person there who we've talked before. They know who I am. They know that I'm a pastor. And so it was a Sunday, so they asked me, like, oh, how, how, how does service go this morning? Well, good. You know, we're having small talk. And then this person comes in with, yeah, you know, my partner works at the church, too. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We've, we've talked about it before. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. They're so great about loving everyone, and they have such an amazing heart for reaching out to people. I just wish I could get some of that heart sometimes. They recognize that their partner is trying to emulate Jesus and loving and pouring out their entire soul to everyone around them and overlooking the person they're married to. That's not the only blind spot, but that can be one big blind spot that we often don't think about because it's our partners, siblings, best friends. They're, they're fine. They, they know I love them. Sometimes they're the ones that need you the most. So this is kind of a random aside here, but the idea of just everyone, that's who we need to be watching for. That's who we need to be attuned for. Who is the Holy Spirit sending to me today? We can't have blinders on, assuming it's going to be this very specific kind person in this specific situation. Because more often than not, it's not going to be what you expect, right? The second thing, kind of pull from these last couple passages, is how do we help people? How do we show love? And it shouldn't come as a surprise. We've talked about it a couple times the last couple weeks. We have to show holistic love. We have to love a person's entire being, show love to a person's entire being. We have to love people's hearts through the sharing of Jesus through talking about this amazing gift of salvation. That's how we love people's hearts. Also, we have to love people's lives by helping them, by loving them where they are, trying to figure out what best would bless that person in that moment. You know, just like that Isaiah passage talked about, we need to love on people right now and they're forever, right? We can't ignore one or the other, right? Because as Christians, our, you know, the Great Commission is... Share Jesus. Share that love. Talk about that forever. We're also called to love people right now. Just like Jesus was. We have to be concerned for people's forever lives and their right now lives. Both. Because just telling someone Jesus loves them and not, you know, working on assisting, helping, walking alongside of them right now, not really going to see that love, Right? That's not showing Jesus' love. That's just telling that Jesus loves you and then going away. We have to have that balance of both. It has to be affecting, impacting, loving people and gospel. 
Great balance. Sound good? So that's the kind of challenging goal this week. Last week we talked about, can you do something loving? Can you show grace, mercy? Can you bless someone you don't like? Now, you don't have to show hands or anything, but how did that go? Anything? Yeah? Any, I'm seeing some nodding. Okay. Yeah? Yeah? So that's the, that's the continued goal moving forward. Show some form of tangible love to someone. Try to be as open as possible. Take the kind of blinders off of, I'm focused on this person or this person. Just be fully open this week and see who the Holy Spirit sends to you. Because the Holy Spirit will send someone in some capacity. We have no idea what it's going to look like. But if we're open to it, we'll start noticing it more and more. So that's the goal this week. Just, just be open. Just try to notice who, what situation, whatever it is the Holy Spirit is sending to you this week. All right, join me as we pray.